Us, we Americans, we are serious about some recreation. We spend about a trillion dollars annually on it. Yet, and here's the paradox, Americans, while recreating more, statistically are happy less. Recreating more, but happy less. So, so study after study will, will tell us that compared to our industrial counterparts, that we are less happy. In fact, it seems that the way we Americans pursue happiness, making happiness the goal versus the byproduct, is more likely to make us what? Less happy, okay? And so we have to look at these things and saying recreating more, but not feeling so great about ourselves here, what's up? What, what gives? Why, why isn't one have a more positive relationship to the other? And, and, and let me just say this. You might be sitting there today and going, oh, no, here we go, all right? Okay, pastor is about to start hating on my recreation, okay? He's going to hate on my free time. He's going to hate on my hobbies. Um, I talked to a guy in between services who told me he was canceling his bass fishing membership, and I said, do not blame me for that, okay? Do not blame me. You know, Steve Curio is not here today. Steve Curio has, has the tailgating scene to beat all tailgating scenes at FSU home games, does he not? Okay, he sets up on the corner. He's got, like, direct TV, and, I mean, everything's coming down there. And, and if, if you've never been to a Steve uh, Curio tailgate, I personally invite you. He said that was okay. All right, so, so go there, eat his food, hang out. He's, he's terrified that I'm going to tell him to, to sell his season tickets and give them to missions, okay? So, so, so all of us have this sort of, oh, no, here we go. What's going to happen? Fear not. Fear not, okay? We have not come to abolish recreation here at Four Oaks, but we have come to rescue it. That's the title of this sermon, Rescuing Our Recreation. We're going to be in Nehemiah Verse 1, let me read these 12 verses, and not to be cute, but we are going to skip over some of these names um, just in the interest of time, but you get the idea. Nehemiah 8.1, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood many important men. All right, there we go. Sorry. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as, as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And many important Levites helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Now listen, do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Father, in, in our fleshly place, we, we don't know what to do with passages like this. Are we to weep? Are we to mourn? Are we to play? Are we to party? Are you holy? Are you not? What? These things seem to be incongruous, Lord. So, Father, we're praying that wherever we are on this spectrum of life and recreation and enjoying your creation or not, that you would create a new category for us, a new category for what it means to have you right in the middle of our recreation and to honor you and to worship you through it. So, Lord, we're praying that you would do this by your powerful word, through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Two parts of this sermon. It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. We're first of all going to talk about recreation's rightful place. Okay, Recreation's rightful place. And then that's going to be more theological, biblical. And then we're going to move into redeeming recreation. What does this look like? Okay, how do we take that theology, the, those scriptural truths, and, and how do we order our lives around it? Okay, So that's, that's where we're going. Recreation's rightful place. This text has a lot to tell us. Israel has returned from exile. They've been gone 70 years, and they were sent into exile because they had stopped listening to God. There was a declaration of independence on the part of the nation of Israel, and it wasn't the declaration of independence from the mother country. It was a declaration of independence from the living God who they were in covenant with. And God says, fine, if you, if you want independence from me, I'm going to let you um, reap what you have sown there. So he brought the Babylonians in. They conquered the nation of Israel. They stripped them out of their homes and from their families. And he sent them off to Babylon 70 years. We're going to hear more about that, by the way, in our, in our series on Daniel in the fall. But suffice it to say that over that time, Israel began to learn its lesson and to seek the Lord again. And by his grace, God has now brought them back. And it's a remnant. It's a remnant. It's a small smattering of people compared to the nation it once was. But they have all come to Jerusalem with with, with one quest. They say, God, living life on our own, pursuing the good life, independent of you, did not work. It does not work. We are here because we want to listen, we want to hear from you, we want to know how to order our lives, we want to walk before you faithfully and obediently. And so it says in the text that they asked Ezra, Ezra, go teach 
Go preach. We are here to sit under the word of God. And then look back at the text. It says they became convicted of their sin in literally mourning and grieving. They fell to their faces. Uh, they fell to their knees. Their faces were on the ground. The, the word okay, to, to weep, to mourn, literally means to wail. Okay, to weep bitterly, to be inconsolable. Do you know what kind of, are you familiar with that kind of weeping? Have you ever had a time in your life where you were so broken, so caught up in the devastation of what has happened to you that you were almost inconsolable, that you were weeping and it was, it was bitter? During our Revelation class on Sunday nights, we've been talking about this because there's times in the book of Revelation where John weeps because he feels that, he, that the, the future of the world is hopeless apart from Christ. And we told this story that when Abraham Lincoln was tragically assassinated in front of his wife, Mary Todd, that she literally did not leave his side from that point forward for days, if not weeks. She was there beside him in the bed as he lay dying. They, when he was lying in state, she would not allow the body to be taken away from the White House because she would want to sit with it for hours. They said that she was inconsolable. She never recovered from that time. And if you understand a little bit of that, then you understand what's happening here. And by the way, let's just say this, mourning and grieving are good. They are good. If, if your conviction of sin is strictly in your mind, strictly in your head, that you can intellectually acknowledge, that's, that's a start, but true conviction of sin, and this, is, this, this will hit you differently depending upon your personality, but true conviction of sin, of sin is one that penetrates your heart. It penetrates your soul. On some level, you cannot be convicted and not remain unaffected. Your, your emotions, on some level, are stirred. So that's, that's, that's not the problem here. Okay? The issue is that they've been stirred, and they have confessed, and they have repented, and they are turning to the Lord. And then he says... Now it's time to do something different. Look at the text. Something unexpected happens. Nehemiah says, be quiet. Okay? Don't be grieved any longer. Because now is the time to celebrate. Now is the time to eat the fat and drink the wines. Now is the time to invite your friends over for the feast. You've been convicted of your sin. You've turned from your sin. Remember, guys, the, the, this may sound a little weird. The goal of the Christian life is not merely confession and repentance. The goal of the Christian life is restoration with God, which means confession and repentance are those things that connect us to restored relationship with him. You know, just listen to the way that he tells them to celebrate. Because first of all, bring out the sweet wine. Okay, what is the sweet wine? The expensive wine. Okay, this is your not not your Knott's Berry Farm, right? Okay, this that, that's not what we're talking about here. He's like, bring on the fat. 
Okay, they weren't breaking the Levitical laws and all. It's just like the choicest affair, right? If we're going to celebrate, in other words, we're going to do this the right way. You know, I always secretly pray that when I get together with lunch with one of you, that you will suggest that we go to Four Rivers Barbecue. Okay, I I, I secretly pray it, and when I go in. Um, there's really one main thing to order there, okay, if you know what's going on, okay, and that's the brisket sandwich, right? It's, the, it's, just, it's, a, it's a whole pile of goodness, okay? And they might as well slice your chest muscle open and just stick it right in there. Okay? Anyway, so, 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 and they always ask you a question if you've been there. It's, they'll ask you, what do they ask you guys? Yes, do you want, <laughs> oh, yes, Andrew, you need to back off those things, son. Okay, anyway, do you want the regular or do you want the moist? Okay, now let me just ask you a question. Why would you go to Four Rivers Barbecue if you weren't going to eat the moist? It's like, what's the point? If I wanted dry, tasteless food, I could go to Whole Foods, right? Okay, or (laughs) Earth Fair, okay? God bless those places, okay? But when it's time to eat something good, okay, we're ordering the moist, right, brisket sandwich. Okay, that's what they're saying here in the text. This is not just feasting, okay? This is the best feasting. And by the way, this is not an anomaly in the Bible, okay? This is not an anomaly. In the Old Testament, we see it, festivals, feast days. They were were regular. They were frequent. In the Old Testament, guys, Jesus was such a good partier. Can I call him that? They called him what? A glutton and a drunkard because he was celebrating with tax collectors and sinners who were repenting. Hey, what are we, what's all, why are we talking about all that? Guys, recreation is a good gift from God. God has given us recreation so that we can celebrate restoration with him. What does the, think about the word recreate, break it down to what? Re- Create to make new. Guys, what, it's amazing. I mean, guys, I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk or what's your church background. You may have certain conceptions, misconceptions about who God is and who God is not. But, but we can't avoid the obvious fact that God commands you to be happy. God commands you to find joy in him. And not only that, God, what does it say here? The joy of the Lord is our strength. We are commanded to find our joy in God through our recreation. Let's think about that for a second. You are commanded to find your joy in God through recreation. That's why the Bible is just so awesome, okay? Because we fall off on both sides of that horse, don't we? We either are indulging the flesh and, and leaving God totally out of our recreation, or we gravitate to this sort of man-centered aestheticism. Okay, by asceticism, do you know what I mean? It's like there's, they're saying like something is more spiritual and holy than other things. It's more holy and spiritual to deprive yourself of certain things than it is not. And by the way, that is not an apologetic against spiritual disciplines or fasting. That's not what we're talking about here. 
we're talking about a theology of creation. So here's a couple of passages for us. This, was from, this one is from Colossians chapter 2. If with Christ, do we have that one, Tim? Okay. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And this is what the, the, the Colossians were saying. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These, in, now this is so good. This is a great word for our day, by the way. All of those things. Because everybody has their own conscience about what they will eat or not eat or do or not do. But understand this. God says it's all good. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism in severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, another, another verse, 1 Timothy 4. Now, these folks were kind of saying the same thing in Ephesus. For everything created by God is good, Paul says, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And depending upon the era of the church's life, we're always going to be tempted to make human regulation, human rules, human aestheticism as the ground of our spirituality. You know, about a thousand years after Christ had risen, the Roman Catholic Church, which had been moving this way for quite some time, but made an official edict that priests are not to marry. And it's still in place today. Now, now why is that? It was thought that marriage and the pre, you know, priesthood is for holy people. That's a holy vocation with holy vestments and holy ministry. Marriage is like mundane and humanly and earthly and common. And it was also based on a view that sexuality was a necessary evil. Okay? It was primarily for procreation. And, and anything that transcended, I mean, forget the Song of Solomon, okay? I mean, anything to trend that, that would transcend procreation, it was bad. In fact, the church's view on sexuality, okay, was so grim that in the church's liturgical calendar, it had mandated that about half of the days you could not have sexual relations even in marriage, okay? Now, as Kent Hughes says, and I think this is right on, no wonder there was a Reformation, right? Okay, no wonder there was a Reformation. Because sexuality within marriage is good. Can I be so bold to say? It's a recreation. It's to be enjoyed. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So, so recreation, as we, as we kind of close up this first part, it's to renew us. It's to bring us together it's to prepare our hearts for ongoing relationship with God. It's to prepare our hearts for ongoing relationship with each other. And, and, and far from God being the killjoy or whatever we want to call it, God, you need to know that God made recreation, made your soul to be satisfied in it, to find joy in him. He just wants to be right in the middle of it. He just wants to be right in the middle of it. So that's our foundation. Okay, 
restoring recreation to its right place. The second part of this, we want to talk about what this means practically, redeeming recreation. Redeeming recreation. Now, let's be honest. What are the two or three questions that most of us have when it comes to this sort of stuff? Can I or can't I, right? Okay. Can I or can I? Just tell me, Pastor Paul, what can I do? What can't I do? Tell me what's right and tell me what's wrong. Now, I'm going to say that that is a misplaced set of questions because it's not just about what we do, as we're going to find out here. It's how we do them and why we do them and in what proportion and according to what priorities. And and there's two principles. These are going to be our two application points, and we'll be done, that I want to kind of drill down in and just sort of send you out today, thinking, praying, absorbing, evaluating your own practices. Okay. So principle number one is this. Recreation was made for you, not you for recreation. So that, that's a playoff what the, the Pharisees were teaching about the Sabbath. For the Sabbath, it was all about how we need to serve the Sabbath according to the man-made rules and regulations we've made. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, you, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Okay, it's the same thing with recreation. It was made for you, okay, made for you, not you for it. And we try to parcel this out a little bit. As some of you who know us well know that a major recreational pursuit among the Gilbert men is all things college football. Okay? So, so I'm jazzed because I'm taking um, Jack to his first UT home game in the promised land, God's country, okay, the epicenter of college football, uh, in Eagle Stadium, and, and, and playing, taking it to the UF game. I'm going to try to break the, the, um, the 11-year stranglehold those, those guys have on us. And, and guys, let me just say, there's great reasons to do this, okay? There, there's great reasons. I mean, seriously. Um, this is what my dad did for me growing up, and they are indelible memories. They've connected me to him. It gave us a context for relationship and him sharing the gospel and pouring into my life. And now he's 75 years old, and he's still, um, he's, he's still going at it. Okay. Thankfully, he's paying for these tickets, and we're really thankful for that, right? Okay, so, so, so relationship, time, shared memories. We come renewed, restored, relaxed. That's, that's some God-given recreation in its right context. Yet, if what happened last year happens this year when it comes to this game, I will have wasted my recreation, okay? So I'm sitting there with Jack. Last year's Tennessee-Florida game. And we're in our, we're in our room. We're just having some great dad-son bonding time, right? It's just like football is just the backdrop. Football is just the occasion. It's really about relationship. Isn't that what we tell ourselves, men, right? Until, until 4th and 17 from the 37-yard line, 28 to 27, and I just absolutely lost it, okay? And I declared to anyone, I have witnesses down here in the front row, I could anyone... Men, what do we often say at this point? I will never watch another game again, right? First of all, liar, okay, liar. 
I will never watch this whole game. And as I'm kind of disintegrating, okay, the whole family's getting creeped out. And they're just like, what is wrong with Dad? He's got to, like, preach tomorrow and everything. This is really bizarre. See, at that point now, what's happened? See, recreation has ceased to be recreation. It's become idolatry. See, I'm serving it. It's no longer serving me. And let me tell you, anything, anything in this life that you serve, okay, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, will let you down. Okay? That idol cannot speak, it cannot talk, it cannot walk, it cannot save you. I'm ask, we're asking for those things to provide something they were never intended or designed to provide. See, when we take something good, and this is so easy to do with our recreation, when we take something good, but we make it the most important thing, see, then we've missed why God has given it in the first place. Guys, that was happening in Corinth, by the way. The Corinthians loved them some food. Okay? In fact, they loved food and feasting and debauchery so much this is what they were saying, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. They were saying things like this, all things are lawful for me. Now, on one level, that's, that's, that probably is something that Paul even told them, right? Hey, all foods are free to you. All drink are free to you. But they were twisting it. And so Paul says, yeah, you, all things are lawful for me, but then what does Paul say? But not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me, they would say. Paul says, <laughs> but don't be dominated by anything. They were saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And Paul says, God's going to destroy both one and the other. Come on. You, you've missed the boat. You see, guys, ladies, something can be lawful, but it not be helpful. See, this is a category you and I need desperately with our recreation. A lot of times we'll come to it and say, is it lawful? Okay, unless you're a loan shark or, you know, um, a gambler who works for Sharky's Machine, or whatever, okay, your, your, your recreation is probably fine, okay? But oftentimes we come asking, is this, is this lawful? We need to be asking, according to Paul, is it helpful? Because if we become enslaved and dominated by it, we serve it, it no longer serves us. As you will know, if you've been here for any length of time, Four Oaks, we don't have a membership covenant that in, involves alcohol. So a lot of times in churches, sometimes in churches, when you sign a membership covenant, you're saying, I will abstain from alcohol, I will not drink, and et cetera, et cetera. We don't have one of those, okay? And there's multiple reasons for this, but let me just identify one. One is that we have a theology of creation that says that alcohol exercise according to the limits in God's word that he gives is a good thing. It's not merely a thing to be tolerated. It's actually made holy by the word of God in prayer. He made it. We think, I think they'll actually, this is so awesome, we'll be drinking in heaven, okay? And if you don't like that, take that up with God, okay? But I think the wedding feast of the lamb, okay, it's gonna happen. I think there's freedom there. It can be your conscience not to drink, and that is your, 
prerogative. And there's all sorts of regulations in Scripture which talk about not wounding the conscience and not drinking to drunkenness, and all, all that is right on, okay? But let me say this. While drinking alcohol, I believe, as your pastor, is a, is a cultural freedom. It's a creation freedom. It's not a right. It's not a right. See, it exists for you, not you for it. And wisdom oftentimes means putting aside things that might be lawful, but in that particular context are not going to be beneficial. So you have to take into account the preferences of your spouse or your family or your own family history with addictive personalities and traits. There's, there's a lot of things that go into that equation, okay? Um, my had some friends who decided they were Christians that were going to take six months off from the local church, their local church and hike the Appalachian Trail, okay? Is that lawful? That's the wrong question. Is it helpful? Is it beneficial to be separated from God's people for that long, to, to be on your own, to be solo, to not be, to not be in community, to not be worshiping? See, see, we have to have another category, okay? So we serve not those things. Those things serve us. Here's a question for you. What are the one or two things that you so love doing that if you could not do them anymore, it would devastate you? What are those things? If you're able to pinpoint that for yourself, you might begin to get at your heart and how your heart is engaging the good gifts that God has given, but where you are being tempted to be enslaved in a way that will be totally devastating to you spiritually. So that's the first principle. Second principle, and then we're done. Recreation serves to empower our roles and relationships, not sever us from them. Let me repeat that. Recreation should serve to empower our roles and relationships, not sever us from them. You know, I got a phone call from a friend in college who wanted to update me on a mutual friend that we both had. In fact, this mutual friend was actually in, in our wedding. And he began to unpack this, this sad, oh, devastating tale of, of how his, this man's marriage, mutual friend's marriage, had disintegrated after 24 years and how there had been infidelity and illicit addictions and gambling. And just, it, was just, it was such a sad conversation. So on, on, on two days ago, one of the kids this, for somehow drug out one of our old photo albums. Do you remember the photo albums? Like when you put pictures in, remember that? Okay. Anyway, so, and I looked at it, it was like, there they were. I remember it. It was like we were all newly married. We were happy. This guy was heading towards this great career. What happened? This is what I kind of started out. <laughs> what happened here? Because nobody wakes up one day and says, this is the day that I'm going to cash it in. <laughs> this, is, this is the day I become enslaved to this particular thing. Just thinking back over that brother's life and just how the seeds were sown so early 
And it began with innocent things like, I, I just need some me time. I need to pursue this recreational thing to make me happy. I need to pursue this recreational thing because I'm so stressed as a part of my job. I've earned, ever hear that entitlement? I've earned the right to do some of these things. The problem was that he was doing them outside the roles and relationships that God had given him. And so one thing became another, and alone and isolated, it escalated. He became enslaved until it finally just devoured him. Guys, that's an extreme example. That's not going to happen in that way to all of you. But it does speak to a temptation that we all have to separate our roles and relationships from our recreation. You see, the, the, the sinful part of us wants to consume these passions, these bucket lists, sort of independently of the structures that God has given us in our lives. And when we start living in that dichotomy, let me just say this, when you start living in that dichotomy, where your roles and your relationships are a separate thing from, from, from these recreational pursuits, your other life, Rich Plass, psychologist, said it this way, the soul will find a way out. Let me get that quote up here. The soul will always find a way out. It may find its way out in a midlife crisis or an affair or in narcissism. But when that happens, it ceases to be recreation and it becomes a slave. Now, guys, let me say this. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I was thinking of a, a friend I have here in the church, and he's a big boater, a big fisherman. Um, I have no idea why this would be fun. I don't have any idea why that's fun, okay, to be barfing off the side of the boat and peeing off the boat all day. I don't get that at all, okay? Not my ideal in terms of recreation. This man loves it. And I've just loved the way this brother has used his recreation to, to create synergy with the roles and relationships he has in his life. So he reached out to a couple of of members in our fellowship group and to say, hey guys, I, I want to I take you on one of these things and we're going to hang out and we're going to get to know each other and we're going we're gonna to pour into each other and talk and hang out and fellowship. He was leveraging his recreation for relationship. He was leveraging his recreation for the body of Christ. He was, he was leveraging relationship for the church not to be consumed independently, but to, cons- but to serve communally. Because that's why, unless, and this is the most important thing today, that's why unless there is a fundamental spiritual transaction that happens in your heart and my heart, just like it's happening in Nehemiah 8, where we are restored to him, where we have been renewed in him, where we have been forgiven in him, where we have been filled with the Spirit in him, then you and I can't rightly receive the good gifts that God has given us, the recreation he has given us to enjoy. But you need to know, when you come to the table today and you are professing faith in in Lord Jesus Christ and you have confessed your sins and you are repenting and you are turning to him, God says, my table is set for you. Find your joy in me. Enjoy the good 
creation that I have given you, not independently of me, but with me, to bring synergy and energy and and renewal in your roles and your relationships in your life. Because I ask us today as we come to the table, what does recreation reveal about the real state of your soul? These are always great opportunities, especially in the summer. What about the way you're recreating and that I'm recreating says something about the state and condition of our souls? See, last week I said that busyness isn't the problem, it's just a symptom. The same thing can be true with recreation. Recreation isn't the problem. It's just a symptom. But because of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to reclaim it and to redeem it, to find our joy in the Lord once again, and to set our hearts on him.